Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy, folks. Welcome to another episode podcast with Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. I'm glad you're here with me today or whenever you hear this. Um, yeah, we, uh, I got contacted from a dear brother who read an article that I recently released on our blog post at RustyThomas.org. It was called The Rise of Evil and the Hope of the Gospel. And uh, this dear brother asked me if I would uh, to turn that article uh, into an episode. And so that's what this episode is going to be all about. Um, The name of it again is The Rise of Evil and the hope of the gospel. I'm going to start with uh, this passage of scripture because it it applies to what we're going to be sharing uh, today. This is Romans 5.20. The word of the Lord states, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And there's so much to unpack there, brothers and sisters, But just know the Mosaic law was added uh, to point out uh, that we are sinful people that violate the commandments of God. But listen to this incredible statement. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And that really kind of captures the essence of the article Uh, I don't know about you, I I was not a good moral sinner. You know, there's two types of sinners, really. There's the good moral sinner, and then there's just the bad, you know, bad, evil, wicked sinner. But both are are sinful. Both uh, have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, But I remember when I was bound by sin and controlled by sin, uh, when sin, you know, said jump, you know, I basically responded, how high? Uh, Clearly, uh, sin had mastered my life, and it's such an evil taskmaster, by the way. And so, yeah, you know, where sin abounded... um, in the world, in the souls of men, controlling and, you know, tormenting uh, the souls of men, uh, in that environment, you know, God sent the gospel of the kingdom. God sent the Messiah. God brought forth his grace into the world. So where sin abounded, we now have this other virtue from heaven called grace, and it is to abound even more. And we must remember one of the reasons 
for the grace of God uh, is to empower Christians who have been born again of God's spirit to literally give them the power to say no to temptation and avoid sin. And uh, that's, a, that's a powerful blessing in the life of the believer. You know, sin, demons, <laughs> the devil, and this uh, current generation that is in such rebellion, you know, to the Lord, the last word they want to hear is no, no. Uh, but it's an important word when it comes to the struggle of temptation uh, that leads to sin. <clears throat> Excuse me. So to say the least, we are, we in America, we're kind of living in some very interesting times. And I just want to share with you, brothers and sisters, that as Christians in America, we are not just laboring in the Lord's vineyard, uh, in a post-Christian era, but we are living in a post-Christian demonized era. Our nation has moved from one conceived in liberty to resorting back to the brutal darkness of paganism. And one thing you must understand about paganism, it always committed child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. It always paraded its sin like Sodom. It always cut themselves. It always tatted themselves. They always marked themselves. Uh, and of course, they always were involved in, you know, or, you know, orgies and pagan practices and things of this nature. Well, unfortunately, America um, has gone a whoring after these things. We've gone a whoring after other gods. And this is what we must understand. That's not a neutral, you know, position to take. Because once you resort back to the brutal darkness of pagans, you better believe evil spirits are going to be unleashed uh, upon us. And we see it so clearly in these days. And, and so as America has gone a whoring after false gods, we must understand in reality, uh, these are idols. Um, that are empowered by demonic darkness. And the bitter fruit of this godlessness devouring our children is evident to all those who have eyes to see. Well, some of the church believe the rise of evil in this generation signals the end times, the rapture of the church and the soon second coming of our Lord. What's interesting about that, brothers and sisters, if you study redemptive history, whenever the church and the world fell upon hard times, that was the default theological position. Those generations, however, they've all come and they all have gone. Nevertheless, and this is the good news, Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father till all his enemies become his footstool. And you can find that in Psalm 110, verse 1. And by the way, uh, that is the most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament. And you might want to look up Acts 3, 
19 to 21 that says it in different terms, but it means the same thing, that Jesus is held in the heavens until the restitution or restoration of all things spoken by all the holy prophets um, before the world began. So praise be to God for that. We got a hope for the future. Well, some, however, uh, do not think it is Matthew 24 that is being fulfilled in our day. Uh, I tend to think it's more like you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So in other words, uh, if the church of Jesus Christ uh, you know, hides the light under a bushel and refuses to be the salt of the earth, there are three serious consequences that come upon the church. A, we're good for nothing. We'll become irrelevant in the affairs of men. We will be thrown out. We will be marginalized, as we're seeing in our nation. And then, of course, they're trying to pass laws and public policies that will trample the church uh, underfoot. And, and this has clearly happened uh, in these days. And so the Apostle Peter, even in his day, warned that judgment begins first in the church. And I have no doubt God is judging the brand of American Christianity that has enabled evil by inaction and silent consent somehow i don't know how we do it but a lot of professed christians have managed to ignore the fact that we are to overcome evil by doing good this we have not done for decades and the bitter fruit tells the tale so again i kind of look more at matthew 5 view uh, concerning our current distress, our nation has abandoned God. That's 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 clear. Um, in the you know Supreme Court decision after Supreme Court decision, we gave God our official eviction notice, and um, and we have been conditioned by these these uh, you know unjust, wicked decrees and laws. Uh, to lose our flavor in the process. Well, here's the deal, brethren. Nature abhors a vacuum, and evil has rushed in to fill the void. Moreover, I hold to this view due to the fact that, yeah, I'm a gospel of the kingdom, fulfill the Great Commission in time and history kind of guy. So why do I tend towards this view? Well, um, after the Lord gave all the signs that signaled the demise of Israel when one stone would not be left upon another and their house would be left to them desolate, the Lord declared, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. You know, the false cries, the earthquakes, the wars, the rumors of wars, you know, all these different signs uh, that would lead uh, to what historically was 70 A.D. 
when the Roman king Titus came in and fulfilled what Jesus had warned where one stone would not be left upon another in Israel, your house would be left to you desolate. Now, here's the interesting thing I want you to consider. There are five other references in the book of Matthew before our Lord quotes Matthew 24, 34, that mentions this generation. He said this generation a few times in the book of Matthew. But every time Jesus cited this generation previous to the Matthew 24 quote, most theologians, and I mean dispensationalist theologians, kingdom theologians, you name the theological camp, most agree that he was speaking to his generation. It was intended for those that were alive under the sound of his voice. Well, eventually a new school of thought, excuse me, a new school of thought in the church arose with what I believe is a defective hermeneutic principle that actually shifted the meaning in Matthew 24, 34. Uh, it suggests that Jesus, though using the same phrase as before, this generation, now meant that he was speaking to a future generation. So in other words, the five previous times, everyone agrees he's actually speaking to his generation. But somehow, in Matthew 24, 34, he switches his audience to not this generation, but to that generation. And this dramatically changes the interpretation. Uh, it changes the signs that historically the church believed was leading up to Israel, Jerusalem, and the temple's demise in 70 AD to now mean it is signs leading up to the second coming of Christ. So it shifts to the destruction of Judea, a small locale where Christians were told to flee to now having a worldwide impact. And you could look up Matthew 24, 15 through 18, and then Luke 21, 20 through 22. Now, here was my problem with all this is I'm, if I study this through the years, you know, if this was signaling the actual end of the world, you know, the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ, then why is just Judea? That, that, that's such like a small slice out of the whole planet, the whole earth. Only Judea, only people in Judea are being warned to flee. I mean, please take that into consideration, brethren, as you study the scriptures. And then I thought, my goodness, if these are signs leading up to the end of the world, why should anyone flee? It's over. It's done. Flee where? <laughs> you know, it's the end of the world. And so anyway, um, that was... A a lot of my struggles, because I, I was raised in dispensationalism, and I never thought, I never could quite figure out, like, how in the world does that fit uh, in that school of thought when it comes to the scriptures? So anyway, 
based upon this novel interpretation, it did change the meaning to this generation, to that generation, though it actually says this generation. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, there have been countless prophecies in the last 150 years based upon changing something that I believe is biblically historical, and they're changing it to mean something in the future. And for most, it's the near future. And so, you know, the end times guys that, you know, constantly forecast the second coming of the Lord is nigh. Um, they, you know, the books, the, the videos, the, the radio programs, you know, uh, you know, on and on and on. You know, they beat this drum. But here's the thing. Not a single one of their predictions have come to pass in 150 years. And yet we still buy their stuff. We still we still believe it's it's uh, orthodox teaching. Well, here's the thing. They are 1,000% consistently wrong. And here's the thing that gets me. They continue to do this, and when, when their dates do not come to pass or when their predictions do not come to pass, there's no apology. No apology to the Lord, to the church, or even the world who look at these teachings, these predictions, these prophecies, and they continue to declare it, it doesn't come to pass. And brethren, I want you to think, what does that do in the world when it comes to the integrity of God's word? Um, a lot of people are not considering these things, and I think we should. Well, here's the thing. God's word warns that those who prophesy something in the name of the Lord and if it doesn't come to pass, God simply did not send them. These Christians are speaking out of the imagination of their own heart. They are not speaking accurately on the behalf of the true and living God. And you can look that up in Deuteronomy 18, 21, 22. Now, in stating this, I believe those who prophesy the soon coming of the Lord are for the most part born again brethren and i assume they mean well I, I i honestly believe they love the lord and they're trying to be faithful to him so i don't ascribe evil intent to these brethren they're still my brethren some of my closest friends that i have worked with through the years are hardcore dispensationalists now they do a great kingdom work uh, the only difference between us and them is uh, I do believe it's going to work in time and history, and, and they don't, and that's okay. Just keep up the good kingdom work. And so I, I don't place um, these brethren in the same category, let's say, as cults or false religions. I don't believe they're purposely doing this uh, to deceive I just believe their interpretation of Scripture is incorrect, and thus their predictions fail to come to pass. Well, regardless of which side you fall on, I think we can all agree that there is certainly a major rise of evil that we are facing in these dark, tumultuous days. And so now the question becomes, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? 
Is there a silver lining as the dark clouds gather over us? Is there any reason for a future and a hope? Well, as believers in Christ and his indestructible kingdom, there is always a living hope. You might want to check out Daniel 2, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and Matthew 13, 31 through 33. So, I just want to go through some observations, brothers and sisters. Obviously, I'm not denying the rise of evil, but I'm also seeing signs of the hope of the gospel for the future. So one of the encouraging things I've observed in recent years is our Reformed brethren are getting birth and trained in the battle to abolish abortion. And I know most of them had a theological position on demonology, but there's a whole different ball game once you engage in the battle. And what has happened uh, for a lot of them that I know, that I work with, they're moving from just a doctrinal belief about demonology uh, to the reality of warfare. And so I've always, you know, challenged, I don't care what theological camp of Christian I've worked with through the years, I've always challenged them on two things. Once you cross the line to abolish abortion, uh, two things, you can be guaranteed. Number one, spiritual warfare is going to take on a whole new meaning in your life. Uh, but at the same time, you're going to get to experience the Lord in ways you never dreamed possible on this side of heaven. And so that's what's happened. Uh, as our Reformed brethren have engaged the culture of death, they have come into contact with demonic uh, uh, activity. And so what's interesting about that, and you don't even really have to share it with them, uh, it's sort of automatic. You know, once they come in contact with demons that are attacking them, automatically they looked to the Lord and especially to the Holy Spirit. Um, they just end up seeking more um, power and presence of the Holy Spirit simply by coming in contact with demonic activity. You know, when I have um, dealt with uh, Reformed brothers who have been attacked by demons, you know, I just let them know, you know, but demons don't give a rip about your theology. They don't give a rip about your doctrine. That doesn't move them. You know, what moves them is you got to know who you are in Christ. You got to be filled with the Spirit of God. You got to know the anointing of the Lord. You, you got to know the power in the name of Jesus Christ to look them in the eye, rebuke them, and drive them out. Uh, that's what's required in this battle. And so what's amazing, I've I just been watching a lot of our Reformed brethren as they're fighting the battle, um, coming in contact in the demonic realm, 
They're seeking the Lord to be filled more and more with his spirit, more and more with his anointing. It's, you know, it's like the Apostle Paul, you know, stated, I, you know, I didn't come uh, with enticing words of men's wisdom. I came in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, we need that in this battle. And so I'm watching God's anointing. Uh, on the Reformed Brethren just get stronger and stronger. And of course, it's the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage and it sets the captives free. And so I pray uh, this trend continues in Jesus name. And so when, and when we look in other areas, you know, that's just one area I see uh, incredible uh, developments. Um, but I'm also watching in society and um, looking at, you know, atheistic liberals like Bill Maher. Uh, well, I, Maher, I, it's M-A-H-E-R. You know who I'm talking about. Um, you know, he's a, he's a God-hater. He's an, he's an atheist. He, he mocks religion. But what's interesting, yeah, that's who this guy is. But he's also starting to reject the insanity of the progressive Marxist agenda. He, he, he's starting to state like the liberal world has gone mad. Uh, this is one of his quotes. He says, the left is now made up of a small contingent who've gone mental and a large contingent, speaking about the Democratic Party or the leftist movement, uh, that refused to call them out for it. Well, he's not staying, saying, saying, uh, staying silent. He's, he's calling them out. Um, he even went on to say the Democratic Party, which I'm sure he's a, you know, big time Democrat guy. He said it's lost its common sense. And and, and again, brother, says this, this is really important because, you know, once a nation abandons God, it, it doesn't just lose its spiritual and moral sense. Uh, it, it loses its common sense. You're literally redu reduced to absurdity. And that is what Bill Maher is seeing. And he's starting to call it out. And so, you know, now does that mean he's repented? Has he been converted? Uh, does he love, serve, and obey Christ? No, but he still has a brain that is somewhat functional. And he is rejecting the evil insanity that is rising in this nation. So that's, that's a pretty interesting development. Uh, even the Democrats are starting to look at what has happened to their party with this leftist Marxist progressive movement, and they're starting to distance themselves from from these folks. So that's that's an interesting development. We'll see where it leads, but it's going on, brothers and sisters, and there's no doubt about that. Um, my daughter Destiny then put me in contact with a guy named Sean Ryan. I'm not sure if you know about him but he uh, he's a former Navy SEAL he was a CIA operative and he does have his own podcast show and she sent me this quote and I, I'm telling you this quote captures everything I'm trying to communicate you know in this episode I want you to listen to what he says very carefully he says I have been trying to make sense of all that is happening in my country and in the world only to conclude there is no sense to be made again no common sense 
He's trying to make sense of what is happening, what's going down in this generation. He said, again, the absurdness has led me, listen, to find Christ. Hallelujah. He says, here I am. Today, I began reading the Bible. Good for you, Sean. That's the map. That's the treasure chest. You know, that's the truth. That's the knowledge and the wisdom and understanding of Almighty God put to paper. He says, this is something I've never done. He, he, he never looked to the church. He never looked to Christ. He never looked to the Bible. But because evil is so present and, and things are so deceptive and there's such absurdity stalking this nation and the world, he begins to read his Bible. Now, this is his conclusion. Listen very carefully. I believe this is the only truth left here on earth. I love this. Maybe the only truth there ever was. Sean, you're on to something because that is absolutely right. He says everything else has turned to lies and deception. And he says all of it, all of it. So what are we seeing here, brothers and sisters, with the, the rise of evil and darkness? God is using that to awakening men's souls on the importance of his word, on the importance of Christ, his salvation and his kingdom in the world. And he's exposing all the lies and the de deception of evil. I I'm even seeing this with Joe Rogan. I don't know if you know much about him. He's a crude guy. He's, he's pretty vulgar. He's pretty profane. But he's an interesting guy, and he has a very inquisitive mind. And he, boy, he has all these guests on. And, you know, he, he discusses all different topics. And, uh, you know, and, and early on in, in, in Joe Rogan, uh, Rogan's podcast, he, you know, he, he mocked. Christianity. I mean, he he tried to debunk it, you know, thinking it's some kind of fairy tale, some delusional thing, you know. Um, but I can tell you, uh, in the newer episodes, he, it looks like he's seriously going through a transition. So you know, he he he's had on guests, um, and I don't watch him or hear him regularly. Sometimes I'll see something that I, I might have an interest, but I know for sure that he's had guests on his show that are talking about the supernatural realm. They're talking about like paranoia, paranormal activity, and even demonic possessions. Um, now, again, I don't know if these guys are Christians or they're just, you know, you know, paranormal guys or, or whatever the case may be, but he has them on his program. And and then a, few, a little while ago, he even had a guest, uh, I guess, who was his friend. And he held he once held to the same atheist worldview as Joe Rogan. And uh, of course, Joe is shocked to find out that this individual actually repented and came to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And here's the other thing, Joe Rogan, he is a big MMA guy, you know, broadcaster there. 
and some of his heroes, some of it, the greatest fighters that he knows are professed Christians. And so this is kind of rocking his world. So, you know, he's learning about, you know, demonic stuff and, you know, and then he's finding friends that are now converting to Christ. And he even had Jordan Peterson on who schooled him on the benefits of the Bible and Christianity in the development of Western civilization. So, you know, he's got a lot going on right now. What well, does that mean? You know, Joe's repented of his unbelief yet? No, he is not. But here's the thing. He confessed that he's starting to believe Satan is real. He said that on one of his podcasts. Satan is real. Now, his confession was, I hope there is a God. Now, that is a far cry, brothers and sisters, from mocking Christianity as a fairy tale to now in his soul, he hopes there is a God. Now, why does he hope that there is a God? Because he now believes Satan is real. And, uh, you know, this man... He influences millions of souls on the earth. He, I think he has the largest uh, podcast following than any person on this planet. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, he's not far from the kingdom. And I, I would encourage you seriously to pray for him. I, I, these, are, these are the men that I constantly pray for. Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, Elon Musk. And Jordan Peterson. I mean, these are major, and I would include Andrew Tate in that, by the way, and that's a whole nother story. But these men carry a lot of weight, a lot of influence in the world. And so I pray for their conversion. I pray God will humble them, that God will convict them, that they would, that he would draw them uh, and reveal himself to them that they would be born into his kingdom and added to his church. Well, let's go back to the scriptures on this, brothers and sisters. One thing is clear throughout the Old Testament, Israel had prolonged periods of idolatry and indolence, and yet God would revive them again and again. Now, case in point was the revival and reformation that took place under the leadership of Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest. Now, when that happened in the book of Nehemiah and Ezra, you have to understand, it had been hundreds of years of walking in darkness and disobedience to God. They were in bad shape. They really, really were. And then what does God do? He raises up Nehemiah. He raises up Ezra sends them back into the land they rebuild you know the temple they rebuild the broken walls the burned gates and they come back to the lord not just politically not just governmentally but they come back to the lord religiously and again decades hundreds of years you know wandering in the wilderness so to speak spiritually and morally and yet the lord brings them back you look out you know throughout you know redemptive history you know uh, with the church you know there was times when 
The church and history became seriously corrupt. So what did the Lord do? He, he raised up reformers like John Huss, John Calvin, Martin Luther, John Wycliffe, John Knox, and William Tyndale. And he used to bring the church, used them to bring the church back to him, to the authority of his word and the truth of his gospel. The just shall live by faith was the clarion call. And that reformation took off. And by the way, there is no United States of America apart from that historic reformation. You look again in redemptive history uh, and you study, let's say, a nation like England. You know, what was that nation like before George Whitfield and John Wesley? <laughs> Can I tell you, I've studied it. They were in a sad, deplorable, immoral, dark condition. I mean, it, it, they were living in squalor and in intense devastation. And so what does God do? He raised up reformers. He raised up revivalists and he sends them forth. And, 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 and Whitfield and Wesley, they, 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 God used them to reform and revive England. Um, the same is true uh, in the colonies. Uh, morally and spiritually, the colonies were bankrupt. And then, bam, Jonathan Edwards delivers the most famous sermon in history. And once he spoke, and by the way, this guy was not a dynamic speaker. Um, he, he just read word for word his sermons in a monotone voice. So you better believe God's convicting spirit was upon that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And once that sermon was published and went forth, or he preached it, uh, let me tell you, it birthed tens of thousands of souls in the colonies into the Lord's kingdom. And he added them to his church. So, I, I mean, you can go throughout church history when it was dark and it looked so bad and, and it looked hopeless. And, you know, there was heresies from within. There was persecution and tyranny from without. It just looked like we're done. And, and by the way, again, it, when, when the church was going through that, uh, it, you know, it was the end times. You know, it was the end times. Well, by the way, brothers and sisters, it is always the end times for you and me. Uh, it's appointed unto men once to die and then comes the judgment. Amen. So the end times are always present for you and I, okay? But I I'm, I'm just want to caution you about this, brothers and sisters. This is not the church's first rodeo. And yes, it is bad. It's wicked. It's evil. There is no doubt about it. But here's the word of the Lord from Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. And this is what it states. Arise, shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Are we not seeing that? And deep darkness the people. But listen, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will see, be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. What a beautiful word from the Lord. 
And he's not hiding things from us. He's not giving us a rosy picture. There's darkness. There's gross darkness. He's not hiding that reality from it. It's true. We see it. We can smell it. You can cut it with a knife everywhere we go. But that's not the end of the story. He says, arise, shine. Your light has come, right? And the world's going to see it. So, you know, throughout redemptive history, the, the Lord seems to use a black backdrop to highlight his greatest jewel, which is the church of the living God. And may I remind you of God's promise in these dark days. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. They never have. They are not doing it now. I don't care what the headlines say. And they never will. God's promises and word is true. It's established in the heavens and it will be made manifest upon this earth. So his greatest treasures, God's greatest treasures, treasures that have been forged in the earth have come through the furnace of affliction. You know, I had this discussion with a brother, you know, he's so concerned about our nation and the world and, you know, the way things are going down. And I understand that there, there is no doubt God is judging uh, this nation. Um, we're in trouble. And I know there's going to be some serious things we're going to have to sludge through in the future. But I did want to give you this one example. You know, look at a nation like Germany, you know, and think about the abominations that they committed that reached heaven. It, it catapulted the entire world into a war. And in, you know, four or five years, Germany is reduced to an ember. I mean, their nation has been smoked, devastated, razed to the ground. Well, guess what? They're a nation today. Not saying they're a great nation or a Christian nation. I'm just saying they came back as a nation. And that should give us some hope, brothers and sisters. It should. It should. And I do believe, um, you know, we're, we're living in such times right now. I, I, um, I know there's... A lot we're probably going to have to wrestle through and sludge through. But I did want to end with uh, two passages of Scripture that could prayerfully uh, give you a living hope for the future. This passage of Scripture was always a trouble for me. It was very puzzling, and I sought the Lord for years to explain it to me. It's Romans 8.20, and it states, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, speaking of God, who subjected it in hope. So <laughs> here's the deal. We sinned, we betrayed the Lord, we committed high treason. And of course, when we did, we fell, you know, thus enters sin, death, hell, and the grave. And another serious thing went down vanity futility meaninglessness that became king of our lives and we became its loyal subjects so here was my dilemma 
my struggle with the Lord. If that's true, Father in heaven, how can we derive hope from vanity? In other words, how can meaninglessness lead to meaning? And these were my questions, and, and, and I prayed to the Lord, you know, for the answers. Well, I believe it, it, it did finally come, and, and I, I, when you look at the Lord and, and, and just seriously how he created this world, he created it in such a way that it doesn't work properly apart from him. Now, we can run, but we cannot hide from reality. And this is what we're seeing uh, in these days. Uh, people are recognizing not only the, the, the vanity and the futility of what is happening in these days. They're starting to recognize evil. And not just evil like they're seeing on the news. They're starting to recognize evil in the unseen realms. And they're also experiencing its negative impact upon them. Now remember, God subjected us to this for a hope. And what is that hope? That they would awaken to the reality of God and the truth of the gospel of the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, these fields are white unto harvest, and we are to pray to the Lord to send forth laborers uh, into his vineyard. I mean, I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, people are struggling, you know, not just with inflation and the craziness and the corruption of Washington, D.C., I mean, their families are falling apart. The, all that they worked for is falling apart. And they're, they're, they're experiencing real evil. And that's where the hope of the gospel steps in. And so I want to conclude uh, with this passage from Jeremiah 2, 13 and 19, because I think it drives home how we should be seeking the Lord how we should be praying and thinking and believing, you know, for God uh, to use these dark, tumultuous days to lead to another great awakening. You know, revive us. Oh, Lord, will you be angry with us forever? And so here's Jeremiah. And I pay close attention to this because I think this nails us to the wall. He says, for my people have committed two evils. A, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And understand this for a truth. Brothers and sisters, if you abandon God, um, you're, there's going to be serious consequences that come in the wake of that. And so when those serious consequences come upon you, uh, you, you got one of two options. You can humble yourself, break, and come before the Lord with a broken and contrite heart that he'll never despise. Or you can just double down on hardness and stupidity 
And when you do that, you're forced to come up with other cisterns. The problem is they're broken cisterns that can't hold any water. In other words, your cure is going to be worse than the disease. And we see this happening in America today. Well, Jeremiah goes on to say, listen, your own wickedness will correct you. Listen to that. And your backslidings will rebuke you. Know, therefore, and see that it is an evil and a bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. So do you see that, brothers and sisters? Yeah, you can run, but you can't hide your own backslidings. Your own wickedness will correct you. These things will rebuke you, and you'll finally come to understand, you know what? It's really a bitter thing to abandon God. Things do not go well. Well, why is that? Because God created this world in such a way that we need him to operate correctly in this world. It doesn't work apart from him. That's the revelation. We need him. And so, brothers and sisters, it is my prayer that as we see these things unfold, that scriptures like Jeremiah 13 and 19 would come alive in our hearts. And it would convict us that it would lead us to that place where we humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways that he might hear from heaven, forgive our sins, and bring healing to our land. Well, that's the end of this episode, brothers and sisters. I'm glad you joined me. Uh, if you find any merit in this message, uh, please pass it on in your sphere of influence. Until then, uh, this is Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. You keep pressing on to that high calling prize. In Jesus' name, God bless you.